Good morning, everybody. Matthew 13 is what I want us to look at today. This 13th chapter of Matthew has um, just a series of parables about the kingdom of God, describing and illustrating the kingdom of God. No other chapter, in fact, in the Gospels has anywhere close to the number of parables that we find here. Thinking about just the kingdom of God, that there are thousands, maybe more than that, of what we could call kingdoms in this world, centers of power, institutions that exercise some kind of control um, and have a hierarchy of power. But they're really, in this entire world, they're just two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, and there is the kingdom of the prince of the power of evil, the prince of the air, Jesus calls him. And both of those kingdoms are spiritual. There's a visible and physical aspect to each of them. But primarily, they are invisible spiritual kingdoms. And we're in one or the other. There aren't but two. And we're in one or the other. And in fact, all of the spiritual, not only warfare, but the spiritual efforts, drawing, doing both sides, doing their best to gain my loyalty, that's really all that's going on. Somehow we have to get a hold of that. And the difficulty, of course, is that these kingdoms are invisible. Again, there's a visible aspect, but primarily they're invisible. I can't cover all of the parables um, that Jesus gives here, but we'll begin with the 24th verse and continue through the 33rd, and we'll look at those um, parables of the kingdom of God as a partial description, or these are the characteristics of the kingdom of God. Why even, why do we need to know that? Because not only are we part of the kingdom of God, if we're followers of Jesus, but we're workers in the kingdom. We're not just passive members. We are workers. Now, if we're going to be workers in the kingdom of God or in any institution for that matter, we have to have certain expectations that are correct. The expectations of the kingdom of God, Jesus makes clear here. And as we look at it further, the expectations that we have as members and workers in the kingdom of God are very important. Otherwise, we don't understand how God works. We don't understand how 
the wheels turn. We don't understand the enemies arrayed against that kingdom. So beginning in 24, reading from the New King James, after Jesus gave, gives the parable of the sower, that's kind of a general um, parable of the Word of God, God's light, our conscience, the Holy Spirit drawing us, and how each individual heart responds to that. And there's a wide difference of responses. After that, he then says another parable. He put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The, th the servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares, bind them in, in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leavened. Now, continues on with not only a few more, but explains these earlier ones to his disciples. There are five characteristics that I think in just these few parables we read about the kingdom of God that apply to us as, again, members but workers in the kingdom. The first characteristic is a negative one. Um, 24 through 30, this parable of an enemy sowing bad seed in the field, and it says among or over the good seed. And the seed that was sown that was evil, bad seed, was, this says tares. Um, we're used to that word other than some much newer translations. We'll use really the better word, uh, darnell. And darnell was a specific kind of weed. The seed looked like a wheat kernel, However, it was black. But once it's sown and mingled in the soil, and when it began to sprout, it looked exactly like wheat. It wasn't until toward the end of the season and growing closer to 
the harvest, that it revealed its true nature. It, the head of wheat, would be golden. Darnell would be black, deep, dark brown. Very, very obvious and e easy to single out. So it isn't until a long time has passed before the nature of the wheat and the darnell, the weeds, shows up. So the first characteristic that is hard for me to put up with, um, it's hard, I, I wish it weren't the case, it's subverted. Our kingdom, the kingdom of God, now it's not going to lose, but it is subvert, subverted. To subvert is to displace or destroy or to hinder or in some way to stop and supplant is another word to replace the good seed with bad and it's done secretly there's a whole family of words subversion supplanting and some other synonyms that show us this is not out in the open it's always secretive. And notice when it says the devil, because later, which we're not going to read, Jesus explains in really close detail what this parable meant. The disciples said, explain that to us. He said, the one who sowed the good seeds is the son of man, Jesus. The one who sowed the bad seed is the devil. Okay? And he sowed it when two conditions were in play. One, nighttime. He came at night when it's dark. And, I don't know sometimes how much to make of this, but it says, while men slept. The assumption, though, is that the members of the kingdom of God, the workers of the kingdom of God, weren't alert, on guard, and they allowed things. And what's he talking about here? What are the seeds? It's doctrine. It's teaching. It's truth. And while men sleep and aren't vigilant about what is being taught, what's being preached, what's being believed, while men sleep, bad seed is sown. I won't get off onto this too long but all my life I don't know if it's good or bad it's a, whether it's a curse or a blessing um, in my seminary class graduating class out of about 40 or 50 of us which was not a small class for seminary there were just two of us that majored in theology the study of the knowledge of God. Okay? You got 48 guys that are getting a Master's of Divinity and it's not in theology. That drove me nuts. I didn't ever get into that I remember. I didn't get into arguments 
with all the guys that were taking pastoral counseling, and I know we need all that, but, and guys that were taking Christian education where they literally, you studied how high the table should be and how low the little chairs should be for the widow kids. Well, yeah, I know we have little kids and we love them and we, whatever. But the doctrine of who God is and what it takes to get to heaven ought to trump all the rest of that. It never has for centuries. Ah, doctrine doesn't matter. Let's just love each other. As I sat in a meeting some years ago, a bunch of preachers, we were talking about doctrine. We were talking about the statement of faith of the denomination. My brother beat me to it. He was on the same board. And some one guy piped up, been a preacher for 40 years, never forget it. And he just, he had kind of a whiny voice, which rubbed me the wrong way. But at any rate, he said, why can't we just, he said, why do we have to deal with doctrine? Why can't we just love Christ? My brother said, which Christ? Who, what do you mean by Christ? What kind of Christ is he? You might think, well, all of that, nobody gets off there. Yes, they do. Paul himself told the Corinthians, who were just shot through with, he said, heresies, false doctrines. And Paul said to the Corinthians, you have, he said, three things. You have received a different Christ. There's only one Christ. But as people preach and teach and cook things up out of their own minds, there are hundreds of Christs. But there's only one true one. He said, you've received another Christ. Second, he said, you have received another gospel. Third, he said, you have received another spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit, one gospel, one faith, one baptism, one Christ. It is, it is for our spiritual lives that we believe and follow and love the true Christ, the true gospel, the true spirit of God. Doctrine and teaching matters. It cannot be dismissed. If I went, would you take your vehicle to somebody who says, well, really, I majored in upholstery when I was in auto shop, but I, yeah, I can, work on the, I can work on your engine. I know about upholstery. I mean, this is absurd. But we do it in the ministry. We know how to choreograph a service. But we don't know when we hear, that's the wrong Jesus you've been listening to on the preacher on the radio. We have to, and I'll get off of this in a second. Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith that is once delivered unto the saints. You know what the word contend means? 
I think we all know. It means just to have a picnic together and we just love each other. It's a fight. In Acts 15, the, the cause of the gospel was hanging in the balance. And what did they do when they got together to settle great issues? What did they do? It said they had much disputing. Now I know there weren't, didn't come to blows and they didn't throw Peter out of the church and excommunicate him and whatever. But it literally means it's okay to get your blood pressure up because it matters. The devil here, unfortunately, in the kingdom of God, has sown bad seed. And so in every... Now, visibly, we can't necessarily see that. We don't know hearts. But there is a clear sense in which, and I don't want to use looking sideways, what about the guy next to me? But there are people that are false believers in the house of God. Their names are on the roll. And we may look at them and see, think they're fine and not know the difference. Because a, for a long time in this parable, nobody knew the difference. Servants didn't know the difference. God did. But servants, it was until nearing the harvest before they realized, hey, wait a minute. That's not wheat. I thought it was wheat all along. It's not. Now, it doesn't mean that we're to have massive FBI investigations to try and find out who might be uh, a D for Darnell instead of a W for wheat. I don't know. And in this parable... Jesus said when, when the, the slaves, the servants, meant well, but as soon as they found this out, they said to him, should we go jerk up the weeds? They were wrong on two counts. One, Jesus said, if you do that, you're going to pull up some wheat. The wheat matters so much to me, I'm willing to let the Darnell exist. Just leave it alone. Let them grow together, he said, till the end. Okay? And then we realize that they, the good ministers, the servants, who meant well, also apparently didn't realize until Jesus tells them in the verses following, you're not the reapers. The angels are. So, now, let me just do a parenthetical thing here. When we're talking about the kingdom of God, unfortunately, being infiltrated by false believers, it doesn't mean, and Jesus said, let them grow together, it doesn't mean that we're to never have disciplinary action in a church when you're dealing with outbroken, obvious kinds of Sin. Otherwise, Paul's contradicting Jesus when he says about the man that was 
committing incest and the church was tolerating it and patting themselves on the back for their wide compassion, Paul said, put him out. So many places the scripture tells us that we are with obvious sin. We're to discipline ourselves, discipline the flock. But this isn't talking about outbroken. This is talking about undercover, false. So, he said, don't attempt to uproot it. The angels will take care of that in the end. So we live, unfortunately, we live in a kingdom that has some infiltrators in it. And we don't really know who they are. That's why it's important, very important, to pray for discernment and direction from God, literally, who to put in leadership positions uh, as a denomination or whatever, who to ordain and who not to. Most of my life I've served on boards of ministry. And there are people that you just get a strange feeling about and you just things don't add up. Um, and you feel in your heart, don't ordain this guy. Don't put him in the ministry. Because when we put somebody in the ministry, what are they doing? We are, we are unable to pastor every single church. So we take a flock of sheep and we entrust the lives of those sheep and the spiritual well-being of those sheep into a guy that maybe shouldn't have that kind of power. That's part of the church's job. And Paul makes much of that. Titus and Timothy wrote to them and with long descriptions of um, who to put over a church. That's part of this whole assumption that there may be some unseen people who are unsavory and should not be in a leadership position. So pay attention as well as you can to the Holy Spirit who does know the heart. And sometimes you don't even know why you have a strange feeling about somebody, but you just feel like, don't ordain this guy. Now, I've got to keep moving here. So, the unfortunate thing is the kingdom is mingled. There's good seed and bad seed. There's darnell and there's wheat. Only in the end God knows it and he keeps it to himself that he's the one that'll separate the wheat from the darnell. We're, unless he clearly reveals to us, that's not our thing to do. So we just go on. We don't try to ferret out everybody that's, that is a big deal today in the church, the current church. It's, you put, the, the phrase is, you get the right people on the bus and you get the wrong people off the bus and you get the right people who are on the bus in the right seats on the bus. And so you throw people out, you fire people, you get rid of people, you run them off. Jesus said, let them grow together. Now that's sometimes hard to do. But he told us to, so we do it. And we don't then go around trying to figure out who's, who's Darnell. Just leave it alone. God knows. This, after all, is his kingdom. Second thing about 
characteristic of the kingdom. 31 and 32, the mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven starts exceedingly small. The smallest of all the seeds. Now, what are we saying there? I think when you take it down to a worker in the kingdom, do not, do not consider insignificant the few words maybe or the few kind deeds or whatever that we do with someone we encounter. Isaiah makes an interesting statement. He said, don't, don't despise the day of small things. Just a kind word to a person who, a, a checkout person or whoever, who makes a mistake. <clears throat> Had somebody the other day, I don't know how this, you know, this misdiagnosis came about, but I was in a certain place, had a waitress that was, looked at me and said, I try to guess what people do that I wait on. And she said, are you an architect? <laughs> now, I don't know if architects are cool or not. I don't know why she thought I was an architect. I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I said, no. I said, I'm a pastor. Well, she messed some stuff up with the order, um, which was not the end of the world. Okay? So just being kind to her and not, you know, and still gave her a healthy tip, that's not insignificant. We don't know. We don't know what impact, what little influence we have as we walk through this world. We, we're brushing shoulders with people every day. Well, I, you know, I've had a bad day. Well, get over it really fast. Because you're representing and I'm representing every single time we're out. I'm representing Jesus. I had the wildest, worst, most irritating situation um, clear back in the 80s. Um, I think I probably bought the last Oldsmobile that came off the assembly line, okay? And they knew they were going to quit making them, so that's what they did with this one. Um, so I, we have this nice, brand new, and we're in Anderson, Indiana, have this nice Oldsmobile, and something was wrong with the heat. It was always lukewarm, warm, but never. And, you know, they have weather there, just like here, 25 below. Um, so I, I think I was six full months with a brand new car in and over and over and over. I can't remember how many times, but it was multitudes. And the longer, the, the more frequently I took it back, nah, we didn't, it's not fixed. They'd keep it longer. And it was just irritating. Um, but it was the same service guy, same service writer that, you know, assigned the mechanic or whatever, dealt with every time. Um, you know, pretty soon I got to be 
you know, first name basis, we're showing pictures of our kids and whatever else, because we knew each other. I was in there all the time. This guy's name was Nick. I don't know, it never came up, but I, he didn't know who I was. He didn't know I was a pastor. Um, and I never got on to him. Uh, it got clear up to the Oldsmobile Zone, um, somebody over in Ohio. It was just nuts. We finally got it, finally got it fixed. And, you know, we, I, I never got on the guy. Never, you know, let him have it. Easter Sunday morning, some months after this, in walks that service writer, Nick. Hadn't seen him for months. But obviously, you know, since we, you know, we exchanged pictures and everything else, he immediately recognized me. I can't tell you the just the fleeting inward sense from the Lord. I'm glad I didn't, you know, get all worked up about this. And he and his family stayed and got saved, and they were rough, out of never been in the, in church before. And it was by well, it wasn't by chance. They had no idea that I pastored that church. They just it was on the main drag, and they just picked it. Except God was involved in it. Um, now, in the big scheme of things, wars, rumors of wars, everything in this world that we consider big is having lukewarm air in your heater that big of a deal? No. But how it got handled spoke to him. Um, it's like following people, you know, who have go into a road rage deal and then they've got one of those fish things on their trunk. You know what I mean? So God starts small. There are people... Um, that each of you may have a small little intervention in their life, but they'll end up showing up at church. God starts small. We don't like that. We like big, you know. God starts small, mustard seed. But it grows Third characteristic, it's slow. The kingdom of God is slow. Not only small, but it's slow. Now that's hard to take for most of us. Listen, we are, and I'm, I'm, I am definitely pointing my finger at you because I'm not impatient at all. Most of us are impatient. Our culture not only is our culture an impatient culture, but we actually value impatience. Anybody that is patient is generally considered a sluggard, a ne'er-do-well, lazy, no ambition, no, as they say, fire in the belly. 
But here's the bad thing. Last I checked, God absolutely refuses. Well, I'll quote A.W. Tozer. He said, God never bows to our nervous haste. He just won't do it. Now, does he know we're impatient? Of course. Does he know that we are just chomping at the bit that he would hurry up and that things in general would hurry up? Of course he does. Does it phase him? No. Because he knows. He starts small with the gospel and the light and it works slowly. And we can either blow a gasket, we can make wreckage, we can be impatient, we can try to hasten God's process along, but it only brings wreckage and if we're not careful could drive people away. Well-meaning. I know when I first got saved, I think I probably, in heaven or a judgment day, it's not going to be, they're not going to be able to make an excuse out of this. But some of my friends, I know I was too confrontational with them. you got to get saved. I don't want you to go to hell. I mean, that's what I called them on the phone and told them. They got saved. Well, that was, you know, ice water in their face. And it was kind of like, you know, leave me alone. I know God knows how to overcome some of our foolish, unwitting mistakes. But he works slowly. When I first got in the pastorate, I, I, I made a little bit of ground. When I first got in the pastorate, though seriously, I would somebody come to church, lost, don't know anything about God, and I would figured, I just thought this way. Listen, they've been here for two months. <laughs> you know? So figure it out. I've preached, if, if they were there every Sunday and we didn't have a vacation or whatever was going on, I've preached to them eight times. They better get saved. It's time they got right with God. And I would say, to my embarrassment, I would tell my wife, you want to go home Sunday? I tell you what, gave an altar invitation. They didn't respond. They've been here for four weeks, eight weeks, Ten sermons. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm just about ready to let them go. I don't know. Hope to get saved someday, but that's insane. Um, you know, I learned, I learned, had people at times walk up, seriously, walk to the back door to shake hands and say, I'm thinking of a case after five years of faithfully attending, unsaved, never yet gotten right with God, walked up and said, after five years, this made sense for the first time this morning. Now, if I would have tried to jam you know, the whole system... It wouldn't work. God sends the rain, softens the ground, plows it, sows it, cultivates it, you know, puts pesticide on it. He, he's slow. And he's not going to change. So, when we adopt all of these 
the, the going thing all through seminary and the years since, I don't think it's ever changed. We, every church ought to have 10% growth every year in attendance. We can prove now from the very early church the approximate numbers of people that came in. And what do we read? We do read of some great moves of God. Day of Pentecost. Other times, 5,000 people. That those 3,000 on Pentecost, 5,000 a uh, few months later, those are the only two passages we know in the whole Bible. 5,000 God saved. We, why don't we have that? I'll tell you why. Those were initiatory, beginning, and with cases where people were in one place from various nations, and they scattered and took it back to their homeland. That's a unique case. But generally, you know how fast the church grew, as far as we can tell, in its first 700 years? 2.5% a year. Okay? I had a jam down my throat in seminary, college, and in every single conference that I ever w went to, you go to some, you know, famous guy and we fly him in and he's got all the answers. I remember going to one of the first ones, I was 23 or 4, and I had just gotten out of seminary, which meant I knew everything. And so we go up to Seattle and we have this big convention with a guy, very famous, connected with Jerry Falwell, if people remember clear back then. And this guy was telling about how to plant churches and how to get buses for the Sunday school and how to do this. And the joke was that one of Jerry Falwell's buses and one of Bill, um, can't remember his last name, um, not Hybels, but anyway, from Hammond, Indiana, two Sunday school buses had a severe wreck in Tennessee. All the way from Indiana and Virginia, and their buses run clear to Tennessee. This is the way to build, this is the way to build a Sunday school, plant a church. And so then he opened it up for questions. And he told us of three times, planted churches, and you know we're all sitting there just burning incense to him because he knows. Finally, someone raised their hand during the question time, and they said, you know, what was the future of those three churches that you planted? <laughs> he kind of stopped. Well, none of them made it. <laughs> okay. Um, you know all the churches in the book of Revelation? None of them are there. They've long been gone. They've been gone for centuries. But God's still here. His kingdom's still here. The gospel's still here. Can't get rid of it. But he doesn't take the place by storm. Fourth, the kingdom of God, a characteristic, it's silent. Now, Watching a tree grow is not really exciting. I planted that mustard seed, and I'm going to sit back here on the deck and watch that thing grow. You don't hear anything. You don't see anything. I can't see, 
but a new ring's added to the tree after a season. It's quiet. And going with combining maybe the last characteristic, it's sure the silence and the slowness and the certainty can all be seen in the last parable of the leaven. Mixing yeast into the dough. Now, every one of us as little kids, at some time I'm sure, my mom would always get on us to make sure we would we'd lift up the cloth that hung over, you know, it was laid over the big bowl of dough. You know, and we'd be fooling with it, cookies or whatever. Hurry up. You can get it out of there early. You could stick it in an oven. You can do whatever, but you'll wreck it. It's silent. It's slow. Watching bread dough rise. That is an exciting afternoon. Listen, Jesus said, and he meant it, the kingdom of heaven is just like that. What do we do? And I don't want to be too, I don't want to be caustic, except today we got to have a sis boom ba deal, we've got to have the smoke machines, we've got to have the. Um, Leaven's not like that. Mustard seed growing isn't like that. So if we're going to be workers, we have to understand the kingdom and its characteristics that we are working in. That means, in some cases, not every case is the same, but I don't know how many of us have heard of a lot of the great prayers George Mueller, a man named Praying Hyde. Numbers of people. George Mueller prayed for one man for 63 years. Mueller died. And sometime following that prayer's life, who prayed 63 years for someone, that man finally became a Christian. Now that's not too exciting, I don't think. Especially in my earlier way of thinking, I'd have quit a long time before 63 years. I'd have said, this guy's hopeless. But he wasn't. So what we need to do, not to be lazy, not to be just sitting back and doing nothing, but God wants us to be patient and trust Him. A little verse that has just kind of attached it to my heart. Um, in the book of John, Jesus said, My Father has been working up until now, and I'm working. Simple words, but He's working. He never he doesn't take vacation. He said, he that slumbers, or he that sits in the heavens, 
neither slumbers nor sleeps. He never stops. He just keeps at it. We can trust that then. And it's hard for many of us, but we wait. We just wait. Because we don't know what's really going on in our heart. God does. And He's the one that opens eyes, changes hearts, draws, calls. We can't. We're just really a fairly small cog in His machinery. But let's do our job. And if it is slow and quiet and small and simple, that's okay. That's the kingdom. Let's bow our heads. And when you think, I'm sure everybody here has, you have family members, you have situations, you have circumstances, you've got things that it seems like there's no movement at all to the visible eye, but God's working. There's where we just have to trust Him, grit our teeth, be patient, and know that He never quits. Father in heaven, as we sit still in this sanctuary this morning, help us to be a congregation that walks at your pace. Through the ups and downs, the mundane of living a life on this side of heaven and being a Christian, help us not to reach out and grab things before you're ready to hand them to us. Help us to be patient. And I know Tanner prayed at the beginning of the service, Lord, about hope. And help us to remember that we have hope and a Savior that is always at work. Whether we see you or not, you are always doing something. Even when we don't hear from you in the quietness of that, you're doing something. So help us, Lord, to walk at your pace, to be patient, to remember what the kingdom of heaven looks like so that we walk with the Savior that shows us the way. We love you, Lord, with all of our hearts. Help us to trust you enough to wait on you when there's silence. And Lord, help us. The thing that struck me this morning too, Lord, is help us to remember the smallest of thing that we do for the least of them out there is for you. Help us to walk well with you today as we get up and go, as we walk in your grace, Lord, and that we do all things for your glory, walking at your pace in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.